Hello again, Keith Hatting here, NC Realty Services and South Bay Developers, and I am delighted that you are listening to this um, madman's ravings. <laughs> Today I wanted to talk a little bit, and I had uh, announced that I was going to on LinkedIn, so I'm obligated to talk a little bit about the generational differences and the pros and cons, so to speak, or what um, is going to really tie into my Monday morning miseries my rants and raves segment as well so uh, I'll, it'll probably be a little repetitive at some point but <clears throat> because i'm an sres right i'm a senior real estate specialist um, <laughs> so many of us are and there's uh, you know classes that you take and we talk about these things and so i thought i would talk a little bit about it here and get your opinion your thoughts your ideas a little bit on what all of this generational labeling means and how it impacts our market and how it impacts our lives even more importantly. So, so without further ado, let's talk about um, generational labels, for lack of a better term. If we go all the way back to the 1900s, um, I think they give it uh, about a 24 year span, 1900s to 19. 24, you have the generation labeled as the government issued generation, the wartime generation. And so uh, they're the GI generation from 1900 to 1924. 1925 to 1945 are considered the traditionalists. That's the traditionalist generation. And then, of course, um, 1946 to about 1964, were baby boomers. Now, let me just preface this by saying, because I know a bunch of you just screamed when I said that, that the dates don't line up and I'm putting you in the wrong generation. And you're exactly right. There's not really a clear, concise consensus. If you Google it and you start trying to research it, you're going to find different people have a different perspective on when these things start and end because they're in reality trying to take um, groups of people by um, um, similar nomenclatures of their lifestyles, right? Well, you know, you hear people talking about millennials, the, how they um, enjoy being cloistered, and that's, you see all these multifamily projects and apartments and things going up because they don't mind living in that environment where the baby boomers were um, dreamers, right? They they wanted the American dream. They wanted the the little pink house and the picket fence and the two and a half kids and I don't know how you do that, but and you know dog and a cat, whatever. That they were family people. That their their house be, is their castle and their safe haven. And many of us that are, if even if you go beyond the boomers, other generations were raised by people in that generation who had that mindset, that vision, that dream for life, and so. Um, these things have a direct impact on who we are. And, and I'll explain that a little further. But we went past the boomers to the uh, generation X runs from about 1965 to 1979. And then you have the millennials we just talked about. They're called the generation Y. So we got X, Y, and Z. The Y generation from 80 to 90. And then the Z from 90 to 2010 or uh, 2012, depending again on who you ask. And then to go to the um, generation A, we're going to come back around the corner to the alphas, and they're going to be from the 2012, or give or take, to 
to about 2025. And we really, I, as far as I know, don't know the label yet for uh, probably be the Bravo group, the Bs, and we'll just stay with the alphabetic theme uh, would be my guess. Um, but, you know, from a business perspective, people talk about the generation and the size and, and the buying power they have in the marketplace. And the housing industry, for example, was a little put off because the millennials didn't enter the housing market as early as the baby boomers did. Um, uh, or the Generation Xers did, that were people raised by the boomers and still have the American dream culture and mindset. So we entered the housing market earlier in those generations and the millennials later. The other side of that, and the real, the real thing that's got me talking about this at all today, is that because um, when we made that cultural shift, we also made that cultural shift because the millennials are in school longer. Right, they're the ones getting the baseline of a bachelor's degree. Now, I, I, you could argue that there've been people getting doctorates forever, and I agree, but but not on a mass scale, not on the socially acceptable levels that they are today. So when you hear someone say that a millennial, for example, their generation will change not jobs but careers seven times in their lifetime, the projection is there because once you started with a higher baseline. Once you started with people who had minimum bachelor's degrees, to change careers was a matter of taking a couple classes and then getting someone to hire you and going to work. So if you're from the boomer era or even the Generation X where we're transitioning some, in, in that era, which again, the basis of this conversation, you know, that was about working, being in the workforce, identifying with our workforce and having loyalty to a company who we expected loyalty in return. You follow me? So, you know, I, I started in the workforce when I was a, a pre, not a preteen, but an early teenager, 13, 14 years old. I was out working, maybe even earlier if you count the, you know, the neighborhood jobs, cutting grass, shoveling snow, things like that. So I was still in school, high school level and middle school, and I'm out there trying to earn a few bucks because we weren't the wealthiest family in the world. And if you wanted things, you had to be willing to go out and work for it. And we were a generation taught with the culture and understanding that we didn't take things that weren't ours. And, you know, we didn't tell lies. And, you know, we, we just, we worked hard and put our name on everything and had pride in what we accomplished. I still today, when I build someone a house, take a lot of pride in the fact that we built that house and put that family in there and helped them you know, to achieve their dreams and their goals in life. Um, but <laughs> my wife, uh, God bless her, she passed. But when she was around, we would drive places on vacations and things. And I'd say, hey, I built that house and I did that house and did that one. And she'd get just bored with it. And, and I'd say, you know, they're just accomplishments for me and I feel good about it. And I hope people are, you know, getting all they expected from from that house and raising children's and, and, and having families and, and, uh, you know, traditions and holiday traditions and things like that. It just gives me a, a warm feeling and a sense of pride for doing that. And I tell my children the same thing, that if they want to have that same kind of feeling, then they have to go out and produce something. And when you do that, you just go to work and produce a day's work. At the end of the day, you might be tired and exhausted. You might be upset that you don't think you're getting paid enough or that you're overworked or you had abusive coworkers or all of these things we might talk about on the Monday morning misery 
uh, podcast, but, uh, but you still sit down at the end of the day and you say to yourself, you accomplished this. You set out to do it and you accomplished it. You achieved that and you're going to get a certain, you know, chemical release in your body. And you're going to feel good because you did that. Okay. Well, so with all that said, all that setup, I guess you call it, taking half my time setting this thing up. Um, how do the differences impact our lives and how do they make a difference in what we're doing? Well, I just explained a little bit in the real estate world because the millennials entered the dance party a little later that there was almost, not almost, there was a lull in our business where there had been anticipation of there being a certain amount of volume. You know, businesses tend to want to look at things year over year. How much better did I do this year than I did last year? But the conditions are different this year than they were last year. So we have to take that into consideration. When I ran restaurants and managed restaurants in that business, we tried to forecast what we were going to do. So if you looked at, you know, every day that you did business, um, let's say how many hamburgers did you sell? Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, that's the week. And day over day, you'd see, okay, well, Friday was a better day for us than Mondays were. And so it, week after week, we can take and make that fair comparison and know I need more product for Friday and Saturday than I do for Sunday and Monday. Okay. And so the same thing would be true month over month and year over year. So depending on how a restaurant is stocking its uh, inventory. Okay. When I, when I ran my stores, what I did is I had two weeks on the shelf so I could run the week that I projected for week number one. And if I had a better than projected week, I had started to get materials from week number two. But before week number two was over, I would have the materials for week number three and four coming. You see, each week I was getting the next week's materials. So if I had a really good week, I dug into it. If I had a bad week, then it was a little less. And it took me about two weeks to adjust. So if I sold $1,000 more than I projected in week one, and I took that from week two, I gained that thousand by ordering it in week three. Did I make sense of that? <laughs> so we're just projecting that. Well, the same thing is true in every business in the housing business, the same way we look at and we, and we project, well, what are we going to be able to do this year? How do we hire the personnel we need literally from sales through service, you know, the construction, the whole nine yards, <clears throat> you, you set yourself up and you say, here's where my comfort level is at. And here's what I want to build. I know builders that build five or six houses a year is all they do. And they make enough money off those five or six houses to have a good, healthy year and pay their bills and, and, you know, grow their families, et cetera. And then they have to look at it and say, okay, with inflation and things going on, do we have to build more or do we up our prices for it? That's, you know, it's the daily conversation in the housing world. Um, but they are still having to project that and, and track that information in order to, what, what if the guy who planned to do six houses this year could only get four sales? His lifestyle has got to change, right? His family's income level changed dramatically. So he lost a third of his income because he lost a third of the sales. And so you have to track it and understand it and prepare for those kind of things. The smart guy that's building six houses is prepared to only build four so that he doesn't become homeless during that time because next year he's probably going to make up for it and have a better year. And that's what happened to us with the millennial gap. They came to the dance, but they came to the dance later. 
And so then when they entered the, the, the arena, which is where they are now, um, we have this horrendous thing going on. And, and, and let me just couple that with the pandemic change, right? Uh, I, I don't know how it is where you are, but here at, on the coast, probably, and I don't know the number, somebody who, somebody who knows the number, I hadn't really researched it, could throw the number back at me. Maybe somebody in permitting or something could say, but I'm going to guess 80, 85% of all the new home construction done here is done through track builders and subdivisions. So when the pandemic was announced, you know, back in March of last year, the, um, the track builder people all said, whoa, don't build anything new. Just finish what you have on the ground. We need to take a step back and look and see how this is going to impact our world. Is this going to dry up on us? Right. I did a podcast earlier talking about a young lady whose realtor told her that the market was going to dry up. So she pulled her house off the market, which was exactly the wrong thing to do, but it's what she did. And, um, you know, so it's, it is definitely in a, in a person's perspective on these things that are taking place and what needs to happen in order, uh, you know, for us to make good sound business decisions as well. So, so the millennials get to the dance party a little later and the pandemic started and all of our new home construction has stopped. It's just put itself on pause. And so we created a shortage in the market that was really unnatural. And we created a shortage in the market right at the time when the demand was going to peak, especially here at the beach, because our summer peak was here anyways. And we just didn't have any supplies of homes on the market. And so um, it created this unnatural demand and therefore prices shot up and, and uh, multi offers became a, a conversation at every real estate meeting and how to deal with them and how, how real they were. And uh, so it's, it's not a mystery is what I'm trying to tell you. There's no mystery. It's, it, it's a science. We can see that these things happen and this is the cause and effect of what was going on. We can go back to the recession and when there was a, a, a huge supply of foreclosures on the market today, it looks like our lenders have gotten smarter because of that time. And they realized that putting all of their distressed property on the market at one time creates, again, a, a problem in the market. It creates an unnatural, um, not recession is not the right word, but an unnatural decline in value, a depreciation instead of appreciation. And so now I think they've gotten smart enough that they've just trickled the stuff out and they realize it doesn't have as big an impact on the value question. And we continue to, con to can continue, excuse me, can continue to see some appreciation, even when there's an influence of distressed homes in the market, as long as they don't just dump everything on the market at one time. And so I think that's been an improvement. And it's going to it's going to be healthier. I think that insuring our mortgages has become healthier again. And so you're starting to see a lot of the old traditional stuff that got us in trouble. And uh, come by and see me one day and we'll have a conversation about what really caused that recession and what really came of that. I make jokes about it being Dan Marino's fault because of his commercials, but, um, and they put a movie out and you can watch that and get, and get tickled by some of uh, their ideas and opinions. But uh, I got one too. So if I won't share it today, it'll be too long, but if you want to come by and sit down and talk with me anytime, I welcome it. 
or we can get online and do a Zoom if you want to. I don't care. Or you can just jump on the podcast with me and we'll do one especially for that. How about that? So, um, okay, so where were we? So the generational changes, how does it impact your life besides the housing market? That's really where it takes me today because in my experiences, let's step aside from the business role for a minute and much of what I have done in the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years has been um, volunteerism, right? And, and uh, involved in some music with a band that we played with and did a lot of uh, prison services and, and um, ministry services and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was speaking from the pulpit in a Baptist church for a while. And um, so there was that, that era in my life. And I coach a lot of sports, a lot of youth ball, particularly. I got involved when my children were little and uh, and it was somewhat necessary for me to be involved. And then I just got a love and a passion for it and I became hooked on it. And so I have been a, um, a sports enthusiast, a sports coach enthusiast for a lot of years. My kids are adults now and and starting to have their own children and I'm still out there trying to coach um, sports. Look at how the, how the things have changed though in my generation. Now I know I'm getting to be an old guy. And uh, so for some of the younger people listening, you may not be able to relate to this, but you will, when you get older, you'll see how it relates. And so you really should have your eyes on the future generation as well, because they're going to impact your life. So we talked about the millennials, the millennials getting in the housing market, they're becoming adults today. And they are the the first, well, they're the first generation, but the strongest generation of people that education was touted as being the thing, right? You had to have a bachelor's degree to move forward. And, and there are people with multiple doctorates before they get out of school and, or their master's degree. And, and I don't discredit that at all. I think that's great for them. What I'm, what I'm going to talk about in the Monday morning misery segment is how that directly impacts my world and in a negative, in a negative fashion and, and how people who are actually, even in my generation are culprits of this thing and yet continue to, to do it. But so because you had a higher education level and the previous generation was a generation of loyalty and in a workplace, right? You went to work for one company and you might've stayed there until you retired, you know, or made an early change or two, but then you went with a company you stayed with forever. And you retired with them and you got a retirement check on top of your social security um, checks. And that's just the way of the world. If you were in the military, you might have a a military retirement check, uh, a work retirement check, and still have some government eligibility. Who knows? I mean, there's people out there that have put themselves in some very good positions over the years doing that. But now we've shifted to this educational basis or fundamental um, starting block, as it were, for the workforce. And some of these people, I call it the, the college attitude. Right? They come out of college thinking they're owed something because of the efforts they made in school. And your employer standing over go, but yeah, but what have you done for me lately? And so there's that little bit of divide there. But but let's go let's go further. Now today, if you're going to hire somebody in the workforce, one of the conditions you're likely to put on people is the level of education. Yes. You're going to say that person needs an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or some combination of a degree and experience in the specific field. 
you know, there's some combinations, but employers will hire people with an education in a field and no experience. And in my generation, you wanted the experience. You went to work for somebody for almost nothing if you had to, to get a little bit of experience so that you could use that experience to move on to a bigger and better paying job. Today, you're going to get an education and you're going to add some more education to move on and move up the ladder. Does, does that make sense? And I know people my age, baby boomers are sitting back going, wow, it was that way for me at work too. Yes, it was and it wasn't. It was and it wasn't because you were probably in the workforce already and you were doing what you were going to do long before it became as thick as it is today. So it does have a direct impact on your life. We should be looking forward all the time. What is Generation A going to bring to the table? And the, and the millennials and the, and the Z, the Y and the Z are going to have to look out there and say, how is that going to directly change my world? How's it going to impact what I'm going to do going forward? Right? The generation before me had some, there was always a family in every neighborhood had 13 kids, right? Like they couldn't figure out where that, what caused that. And yet my, my generation um, of children, my children don't see that they would hear you say something like that and go, oh my God, that's ridiculous. And these next generations are probably going to be even more conservative when it comes to the number of children they have, because it's a complex world and it's an expensive world and children are expensive to have. They're a blessing, but they're expensive. And so um, this is some of the changes that you have to look forward to in your life to say, if I'm going to plan out my life, if I'm going to you know, have the, the house and the picket fence and the two kids and the dog and the cat, you know, you're going to plan these things out. You have to also plan out, you know, where the, where are the requirements? Where's the line in the sand going to be for your children and your grandchildren when they get there? Right now, my children are adults. That's where I'm at in the generation. So, you know, my children are making decisions in their life that will affect them for the rest of their lives. But but they've already set a course in motion. And so to change that course now will be a dramatic change going back to school maybe and in furthering some education or those kind of things the next generation my grandchild i have one god bless her eddie's beautiful baby but when she goes to school to get an education what will she need will we have inverted back because i hear some people that, that talk about I, I got a harvard education but i don't believe it did anything for me which i would have to disagree because just having the paper on the wall probably made a difference but um but, but what difference? Or will it go even further and say a bachelor's is not enough? We want to be the leaders of the world and, you know, everybody should come out of school with a master's. Is the government going to step in and start providing education to a higher level? I think I, think I could project with my fuzzy crystal ball uh, that that's probably where I think we're leaning to is that we're an associates might be something that will be provided by the government excuse me, maybe even the bachelors at some point, if we continue to press the educational button, um, you know, and then we're always guilty of the haves and the have nots. And you say, why are you requiring this of people? Well, I went out and got a bachelor's and if I can do it, then that's what I want from these other people. Well, that's good, but one size doesn't always fit all. All right. I'm over my time already is what happens when I don't do these as, as often as I should. I get long winded. There's the post I promised for um, LinkedIn and, um, and the conversation, and I hope you could gain something from that. If you really want to know what started this whole thing, then jump over to the uh, one I'm getting ready to record next, the Monday Morning Miseries, My Rants and Raves, uh, where I'm going to talk about 
how that has negatively impacted my world. And, um, and so it's going to be one of my miseries for the story for today. So instead of talking about my breakfast or the traffic, which I'll get back to because that continues to be a problem. But today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, how the change in society has had a direct impact on, on my world and, and, prob and probably on your world. Maybe you just haven't thought about it the same way. Uh, and you can see it in the things all around you. Once I, once you listen to this, I think you'll be able to spot how it's impacted you. Might not be negative in your world, could be a positive, but, um, but in mine, we're going to talk about, we'll talk about the bad side of it. All right. So catch that on the Monday morning miseries, my rants and raves also published today on the 15th text day. And, um, but uh, for this one, I think I've had uh, my say, all I'm going to say today, my name is Keith Hadding with NC Realty Services and South Bay Developers, bringing you another episode of the truth in real estate and more unscripted. And I think certainly the generational um, characteristics from one generation to another have a lot to do with the world of real estate and a lot to do with the truth. And as this little final tidbit, uh, the reason that our numbers float around as bad as they do from year to year is that sometimes the numbers seem a little more watered in one area than another. Really, to me, the way to do those generational numbers would be a set number every 10 years or every 15 years um, and not waver so much. You know, we started off with 24 years in the first generation that I talked about. So uh, it's it's hard to show those consistencies. If you say, wow, the business is just as great as it was at Generation X as it, as it was with the boomers. And then we slacked off in the millennials. Well, yeah, but how many years did we actually have for those? If we count the years where they're 15 years apart each and keep them even, I think that's a much more realistic way to measure um, the results of that of that generation. So, all right, enough said. Keith Hadding, NC Realty Services, uh, South Bay Developers, where we do scattered lot modular construction, and we'd love for you to come sit down with me anytime and do a podcast or or plug in online and put your opinions on, and I'll be glad to publish it if you want to do it that way. So until um, until a few minutes from now, uh, after I finish with this customer, and we do the Monday morning miseries rants and raves, I'll see you next week. God bless.